All right, it's time to take out our Bibles, and if you will, open up with me to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, we're going to start here in just a moment in verse 7. I am reminded this morning of what a pleasure and a privilege and an honor it is to open God's Word up for you week in and week out. It is an absolute joy. I pray and I hope that you take joy in receiving it as much as I take joy in giving it out to you. Exodus 33, starting in verse 7 here in just a moment. Now, a while back, I was in my house, and I was alone, uh, and I'm pretty sure Jen and the kids were out of town, in Owensboro probably, because I remember hearing a noise upstairs and realizing immediately, I know no one's in the house except for me, or at least I hope. And it was a, a noise that it kind of kept going. It was like you know, just a banging, real uh, kind of intermittent-like, but it, it kept coming and kept happening. And I, I cautiously walked upstairs, realized that it was coming from our back room, which we call our library. It's where we keep all the kids' books and stuff like that. And so I, I walked back in there and then realized right away a bird was in our house trying to get out. It couldn't figure out how to get out. It was just going up against the window, flying up against the windows over and over again. Now, this was a room with lots of windows, and so I thought, oh, great, we've got some hole somewhere that this bird's got in because no window was open, or we've got a, a, a back door to our screened-in porch, and we've got cats. So what could have happened was our, our cats caught a bird and then brought it right to the doorstep as they sometimes do but it wasn't dead and one of us might have opened the door and it, it flew in and that stairway right back by our back door goes right up to that room the library but nonetheless there's a bird in the house and now I've got to catch a bird and and get it out I mean how do you how do you catch a bird right it, it's flying all around so initially I was doing some dumb thing with a big sheet and trying to to, to get it and I was just falling all over myself and, and I, I got my gloves, and, and I just said, Lord, please just help me do this, because this, this could take all day. So I, I walked up there, and I, I started walking toward the bird, and I was really lucky. It just kind of retreated away from me into this little corner where the, the bookshelves come together. And, and so it was a, in a little dark square corner where it was trapped. And so I, I thought, okay, this is my chance. I've got to grab this bird and then take it outside and, and release it. So as, as I came up toward it, I saw it. And I, I, my hand, you know, came toward it. And it's just this little opening where my hand's coming through. But it was shaking. I mean, just shaking. You could tell it was scared out of its mind. And immediately I, I thought, what, this, what, what must this be like for him? Right? He sees this giant hand coming down upon him. I mean, this must be the scariest thing he's ever experienced. He might die of a heart attack before I get him outside. And I finally didn't let him go. But I realized in, in that moment, man, what must that have been like for the bird as my hand was slowly coming down upon it? Do you think sometimes we are like that bird as God is reaching out to us? We don't understand what he's doing. We don't understand him and we have such a limited perspective. And as he's reaching out for us, and it's going to be for our good, all we can think about, all we can really understand is this is, this is going to hurt. This is going to be bad. I, I need to get away from this as far away and as fast as I can. 
Sometimes we're, we're just straight up frightened about what might happen if God actually got a hold of us. Because like that bird, we just don't see what he sees. We just don't understand everything that he understands. We don't realize that it's going to turn out for our good. Let me show you how that relates to our text today. And it might not be immediately obvious as we read it. But I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. Exodus 33, our text is verses 7 through 11. This is God's word. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each one would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I want to show you three aspects today of our text that tell us about God. We're looking today at the God who gives us himself. The God who gives us himself. Specifically, our text draws our attention to three ways in which he does that. Number one, we see in verses 9 through 10. Verses 9 through 10. Notice the pillar. The pillar of cloud. You see that? It refers to it twice there. The pillar of cloud that would descend at the entrance of the tent when Moses would go in. Exodus 13 tells us that at this point in time in history, God revealed himself or manifested himself to the Israelites as a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. And thus they could always see God's presence with them, no matter where they were going, even as they wandered in the wilderness. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And God, as he revealed himself in this way, he has Moses set up this tent. You saw that. Moses sets up this tent outside the camp. And it says everyone who sought the Lord would go out to this tent. Anyone who sought the Lord, presumably, if you had some kind of uh, desire to know the Lord's will for your life in a particular situation, you would go out to the tent and seek the will of the Lord. And through this, we see one of the most important aspects of God, that he desires to dwell with his people. We serve a God who desires to dwell with his people. We cannot take this for granted because God does not have to be this way. God does not have to be this way. He does not have to dwell with us. He could very simply just stay at a distance and let us do our own thing and speak to us from a distance and lay down his law from a distance, but he desires to dwell with us, to be with us. We see throughout Scripture God doing this, we start, if, if, let me take you on a little journey throughout scripture 
in terms of God's presence, you begin in the beginning with Adam and Eve, who had an unveiled, unmediated presence of God with them at all times, before sin, before they they fell, before they ate the fruit. God's presence was with them, unmediated at all times. They could walk with God. They could talk with God. How amazing would that be? And yet they sinned. And what happens when they sin? They are driven out from the presence of the Lord. But even after that happened, God was working to make a way to be with his people. And so here in Exodus, God dwells near his people again. Soon after this part right here, God will give them instructions for the tabernacle. You remember the tabernacle? The tabernacle was a tent. Sometimes, actually, the tabernacle was called the tent of meeting. Confusing, because this tent that we're talking about here is not the tabernacle. So that's a little bit confusing as you go through your Old Testament. But the tabernacle was a place where God's presence dwelled permanently. Remember, they set up a room in the tabernacle, sectioned off by a curtain called the the most holy place. In it was the Ark of the Covenant, and over top of the Ark of the Covenant dwelled God's presence. God made a way for him to dwell with his people. Later, the tabernacle, that movable tent, was replaced by the, the structure of the temple in Jerusalem. And the same deal happened in the temple. There was a room on the very inside, an inner room, sectioned off by the curtain called the Most Holy Place, where God's presence dwelled. And all of this shows us that we serve a God who wants to be near his people. He wants to dwell with his people. Even after Adam and Eve messed it up, God was working to make a way for his people to be near him again. And this makes the God of the Bible uniquely different from all the other depictions of God in every other religion in the entire world. The God of the Bible is uniquely different because he longs to dwell with his people. Praise the Lord that we do not serve a God this morning who is distant, who is an authority figure on high that we could never reach up to. Praise the Lord that he does not make us try to climb a ladder up to him where he is by our own righteousness and our own good works because we could never get there anyway. He's transcendent and he's different from us, yes. But this is not a God who calls us to come up to him as if that could ever happen. There's no way we could make our own way to where he dwells. This is a God who comes down to us. A God who comes down to us. He condescends to come down to you. God initiates a relationship with us. This God draws near to us so that we can experience him. He's unique among all the depictions of God in all the religions in the world. Christianity is the only one where he comes to us. But as you read the Old Testament, God's presence is always at a distance, is it not? It's always at a distance. Look at verse 7 in our text. Notice in verse 7 it says, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. Outside the camp, far off from the camp. And even as God begins to dwell in the tabernacle and then later the temple, it was in the midst of where his people were, but he wasn't right there with them, right? There was a separation People couldn't go in there where he was. There was a separation between God God and the people. But this all changes with Jesus. It all changes with Jesus. As we come 
to the Christmas season this year, we are beginning to turn our minds toward the incarnation. The incarnation of Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The book of Matthew tells us that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. In Jesus, God comes to dwell among his people as one of them. As one of them. And he rubs shoulders with his people. And he walks and works and teaches and lives among the people right there with them. God is no longer at a distance in Jesus. He comes right here in the midst of us. But even Jesus, even Jesus himself remains distant from some of us because so many people didn't live in the geographical area where Jesus walked and lived. There were so many people on the earth at that time who never saw or talked to Jesus. And so many of us didn't live in the time period when Jesus walked this earth. And so even Jesus himself remains distant from some of us, but after he rose from the grave, he ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And now God's presence dwells inside of each and every believer. Think about this. Don't take it for granted. Think about how astounding it is that God dwells inside of you if you are in Christ this morning. That God dwells right here. There is no separation anymore. The Holy Spirit dwelling each in, inside each and every believer. And so we see that God is always seeking to dwell with his people. And the story of mankind is going to culminate one day in the new heaven and new earth where God's presence dwells unveiled and unmediated once again with his people. He will be with us as our God, and we will be with him as his people. And so we serve a God who wants to dwell with us. We also serve a God who gives us access to himself. We serve a God who gives us access to himself. Notice two things in our passage. First, in verse 7, anyone who sought the Lord could come out to the tent. Anyone who sought the Lord could come out to the tent. Didn't matter who you were. Whoever was seeking the Lord could come out there. Now, presumably, they had to have Moses and Joshua, it seems, help them through this process of seeking the Lord's will. But anyone could come out to the tent. But second, I want you to notice specifically the access that Moses had. The access that Moses had to God, which was special. Moses had access to God in a way no one else in the camp did. It's much like today with the President of the United States. Only certain people have access to him. You might say later today, I want to speak with the President. Well, too bad. You can't. You don't have access to him. You might be able to speak with someone who knows someone who knows someone who has access to him, but you don't. We don't. Only certain people have access to that person in that office. Moses had that special kind of access to God that no one else did. Notice he can go in and speak with God. And speak with him. Verse 11 tells us that he used to speak with God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. 
What is that like? Now, don't misunderstand this. God doesn't really have a face. Okay? You've got to understand this about God. God doesn't have a face. He doesn't have an arm. He doesn't have legs. He doesn't have feet. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a human body. And so it is not as though Moses goes in and sees a face. That's not what it's saying. It's a figure of speech. It's saying he used to speak face to face like a man would speak to his friend. He had that closeness of proximity, that relationship to God, that friend kind of relationship. But God doesn't have a physical human body. He is a spirit. And so don't think of it like that. But Moses did have that close friendship type relationship where he could go in and speak to God in a way that no one else in the entire camp could. Numbers 12 actually tells us a little more about Moses' unique relationship to God. In Numbers 12, there are people that are questioning Moses' leadership, rebelling against Moses' leadership, and speaking bad words against Moses. And in Numbers 12, verse 6, God says, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so Moses has that special access to God. But it's only Moses. No one else in the camp has access like that. But once again, this all changes with Jesus. It all changes with Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, Scripture tells us that inside the Jerusalem temple, at that very moment of Jesus' death, miraculously, the curtain that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple, it was ripped in half, top to bottom, torn in two, signifying that the way to God had been opened. Access to the Father had been opened by Jesus' death. And no longer, no longer would you have to be the high priest only on the Day of Atonement to come into the presence of God. When Jesus died, anyone could have access to the presence of God if they came by way of his son Jesus and his blood. That veil separated God's people from him. No longer. Not through Jesus' blood. Not with Jesus' death. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19, speaks specifically to this in a wonderfully beautiful kind of way. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, notice that language, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You can draw near to God because of the way opened by Jesus and his blood. And so you don't have to be God's special chosen leader like Moses to come into God's presence. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be a minister. And you don't have to be a Jew or any other nationality In Christ, we all have access to the Father. All of us have access to God through Christ. Through Jesus, and it has to be through Jesus, we can all go to the Lord and speak with him as a man speaks to his friend. 
All of us can do this through Jesus. And we can do it whenever we want. It's prayer. Prayer. Through Jesus, we have access to God. It's a wonder that God would even listen to us. Why would God care about little me? I'm such a small, an infinitesimally small part of God's creation, of the universe. And yet God would care about my words when I come to him in prayer and God would listen to what I am saying? Yes, through Jesus. We have access to God to speak with him as a man speaks to his friend through Jesus. With Jesus, God is always near. With Jesus, you always have God's ear. And through Jesus, you always have God's words. Remember, this relationship with God is a conversation. It's not a one-way request line. It's a friendship as a man speaks with his friend. It's not a one-way line. And so that leads us into our third and final point. This is a God who speaks to us. A God who speaks to us. Verses 9 and 11 tell us the Lord would speak with Moses. He would speak with him. And he speaks to us. Not only do we have a God who dwells near us, who dwells with us, not only do we have a God who gives us access to himself, but he speaks to us. He speaks to us. It's an amazing thing that God, the creator of heaven and earth, would speak to Moses like that. That in and of itself is surprising. And the rest of the people had to wait and hear from God through Moses as the mediator. And this is actually what God does with all the prophets in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets were mediators in between God and the people. And they relayed God's words, God's message. So God would speak to the prophet, but only to the prophet. And then the prophet would relay God's words to the people. So not everyone heard from God. It was just those that God had chosen, those special chosen men to be God's prophets. One of the motivations for the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s was that the Catholic Church believed that it was God's will that only certain specially selected holy men should read and interpret God's word. And then that word would be relayed to the rest of the people. And so... For the longest time, the Catholic Church officially taught, you should not read the Bible for yourself. You should go hear the Bible from an expert, from someone who was specially chosen to hear from God, and then they would tell you what God said. And on top of that, for so many years, the Catholic Mass was conducted in Latin. And so people were seeking God and getting nothing that they could even understand. They knew they were hearing God's word. They didn't know what it meant. And so human history continued this idea even past the New Testament, the New Covenant. Human history has been filled with this idea that God does not speak directly to his people. He speaks to a special mediator, and then the mediator relays the message. Now the key is, in the Old Testament, that was the way God wanted it. But once again, Jesus changes everything. Because in Jesus... God showed up and spoke to his people directly. In Jesus, God show up and showed up and spoke to the people directly. Jesus showed up and said, this is who God is. This is his heart. This is his nature. This is his plan for your salvation. God was showing up and speaking directly. 
But once again, Jesus was only one man. Only one man in one location who lived in a very small window of human history. How would the rest of us hear God speak? Well, brothers and sisters, we need to be thanking the Lord regularly for the fact that the apostles wrote it down. The Bible. This is how the rest of us can hear God speak. We can hear God speak to us. We now have the full revelation of God. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed to us. The Old Testament prophets and Moses would consider us more blessed than they were. They would consider us more blessed than they were if they knew that we would have had the full revelation of God at a place so easily accessible that we could read whenever we wanted to. And the full mystery of God and the gospel revealed. And the amazing thing about it is you can go to God's word and hear him speak anytime you want to. You can hear God speak to you anytime you want to. So many people today long to hear God speak. If only God would speak to me. If only I could hear an audible voice from God and he could give me special direction in my life. If only I could hear him, then I would know his will. Then I would know he was real. So many people today practice what is known as listening prayer, trying to hear God's voice and hoping that something will click and all of a sudden they will have direct communication from God. Now, I'm not saying that God does not give us impressions of his will, that he doesn't lead us by his Holy Spirit. But what is so sad about all of this is how it diminishes the beauty and the wonder and the miracle that we have right there in front of us any time we want to go to it. And we just take it for granted. How silly of a thing it is when someone is on their knees begging for God to speak to them and their Bible is closed on a table not less than five feet away. Speak to me, Lord. He has. He has. When you hear from God through his word, you don't have to question whether or not you heard it right. You don't have to question whether or not that really was a word from God, or maybe it was from Satan, or maybe it was from inside of us. You see, when someone says, God spoke to me, God told me, I'm, I'm honestly skeptical every single time. I don't know that God told you that. I don't know that you heard that from God, and many times you don't either. You might really feel like it, but there's a lot of people who have really felt like it in the past, and time has proven them wrong. I'm not saying God can't do that. All I'm saying is that the, the, the obsession that we have with that mystical experience pales in comparison with the access to God's word that we have every single day, anytime we want it, right there outside of us on the page for us to read. And when it comes that way, you know it's from God. And you know what it says. And there's no, there's no wondering if we have a fuzzy connection or if I really understood or got that right. My friends, we have the word. If you want God to speak to you, we have the word. When Peter wrote 2 Peter, in chapter 1, 
he starts talking about how he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that story? Matthew 17 is one place it's recounted. Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is transfigured before them. And it says his, his clothes was, were, were bright as, as the whitest light. It was almost blinding. And, and they saw it. And Peter writes about that in 2 Peter. He says, we saw it. We saw Jesus glorified on that mountain. We saw Elijah and Moses on either side of him. And we heard, we were there and we heard God say that this is my son, listen to him. But then in 2 Peter 1.19, Peter writes this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What does Peter mean there? He means, here's my firsthand experience, but you know what's more fully confirmed than that experience? The word. You know what's more trustworthy than anyone's experience? The word. No matter what experience you might have had of God, and more power to you, congratulations, if you had some kind of mystical experience with God, this word is more trustworthy than anything you can tell me about your experience. And Peter says so and uses his own experience on the Mount of Transfiguration as an example. That's what he's saying. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. God has spoken to us. Are we going to listen? Now, when a friend speaks to you, when you sit across from a friend, you don't have to really do anything to listen. The, the sound of their words comes right into your ears. You don't have to do anything. But with God's word, you have to actually open your Bible and go to it and read it. God has spoken. Will we listen? Will we listen? We serve a God who is ever seeking to give us himself. Even when we rebel, even when we walk away from him, he continues to seek to give us himself. First John tells us God is love. But what is love other than self-giving? A giving of yourself. God is love. What does that mean other than that God is giving us himself always? That's who he is. And the ultimate act of this self-giving love was when Jesus Christ gave himself till there was no more of him left to give. He gave himself completely and fully and spent it all for you and for me. That we might have God for all eternity. That we could have our sins forgiven because he gave himself. Because he gave it all so that we could be reconciled to God. And therefore those of us who have come to God through Jesus. And those of us who have come to know and love this God who gives us himself. We can now say the Lord is my portion and my very great reward. The Lord is my portion. Why? Because God gives us himself, and that is our satisfaction. We receive God, and we taste and see that he is good, and we say he is our portion, he is our satisfaction, he is our reward. And he has given us that reward and that portion because he has given us himself. If you have never known this joy and this love, you can today. Today. 
but only by repenting of your sins and seeking God's mercy and forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you turn your life over to Him, and if you give Him your allegiance, God's love will pour out on you like a father to a prodigal son who has come home. Will you come to the Father? Will you come home to the Father who seeks to give you Himself? We're going to spend some time right now in prayer. Each week we do this here at Columbia Christian after we hear from God, we spend some time speaking back to Him. And so during this time of silent individual prayer, we challenge each and every one of you to respond to whatever God has laid upon your heart. To pray to the Lord and to do business with the Lord right now based on what He has just said to you. And so we give you this time to do that right now. After a few minutes of doing that, of individual silent prayer, we'll come back and we'll have an invitation time where we offer to those who need to respond to God's word in a public manner. So let's spend some time in silent prayer right now.